Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. We have another game preview episode of the Dogcast, the last preview episode of 2023 and Georgia's 2023 season. Uh, we've got a lot to discuss as Georgia gets ready to play Florida State in the Orange Bowl. It'll be on Saturday with kickoff scheduled for 4 p.m. Eastern time. Going to dive into that game, but first, we need to start with some of the big news that has happened since the last time we recorded. Georgia has uh, finally started started to make moves in the transfer portal. Seemed like there for a while. It was a lot of guys going in the portal, not so much Georgia landing guys. They had gotten London Humphrey from Vanderbilt, but now they take a step forward and add three other guys. Former Florida running back Trevor Etienne, former Miami receiver Colby Young, and former South Carolina defensive tackle Xavier McLeod. Some big additions among them and some guys that, you know, it looks like are in position to wind up contributing quite a bit when we get to 2024. Kip, I'll start with you. What do you think of these three guys that have joined the Bulldogs and uh, what they can do going forward, their roles they can earn uh, once they get to Athens? Yeah, um, I guess first off, this with Del McGee's probably uh, thanking Billy Napier for, you know, giving him a a good chunk of his offensive backfield between Trevor Etienne and, and Chauncey Bowens. Uh, you know, tough, tough scene out there for the Gators recruiting overall and this just cycle in general. I think Trevor just brings something kind of different to the table. Uh, you know, uh, kind of a guy that has that extra gear. I, I think you look at Georgia's running backs this season, um, you know, productive group. Uh, when they're healthy, they were definitely tough to tackle. Um, and, and we're able to break tackles as well, but you never really saw those, you know, those long, uh, you know, 20, 30 plus yard runs because they kind of didn't, they didn't really have that gear. It wasn't really what they brought to the table. And so, uh, you, you know, you bring in, uh, Trevor Etienne, who I think that's exactly what he brings to the table. Just, a you know, a big play potential, a guy that can, uh, you know, add more to the, the passing game as well. So it's just, you know, something different that uh, the offense kind of lacked this season. That's kind of, uh, you know, overall, you look at this transfer portal edition, all four of the guys, even going back to London Humphreys, and they have skill sets that are kind of lacking overall in the roster. You know, with Humphreys, uh, that vertical threat, we always talked about the potential of Arian Smith that never really hasn't really hit the reality of it. But London bring that brings that to the table. Colby Young, the transfer from Miami. Um, I mean, he he's going to be getting fed back shoulder throws from Carson Beck, you know, all day long. That catch radius that he has, Georgia. I mean, I'll just say that. I mean, it was hasn't really had since guys like Lawrence Cager were on the roster. Just uh, the ability to to throw up a 50-50 ball if you need to, and, and know that he's going to have that catch radius to be able to do that. That's what he did at Miami. Uh, just being a you know a huge target, six uh, five whatever his you know his measurements actually are. Uh, that's that's a big time wide receiver you've added to the room, but also underrated. He's probably going to be pretty good out there on the perimeter blocking as well. Um, so that that's huge for Georgia as well. And then Xavier McLeod, I think the, you look at the D line rotation this year. It wasn't really as much of a rotation as it needed to be. Um, I think Stackhouse played a huge number of snaps and really more snaps. And I, I think Georgia coaches probably expected him to have to play. 
Um, they weren't able to just go six to eight deep like we thought they were going to be able to. And I think bringing in a guy like Xavier McLeod, a guy that Georgia really wanted out of high school, missed out to the in-state program in South Carolina, but now they're immediately able to to add him to the program. It's basically, you know, just adding a, a guy after a redshirt uh, season, uh, a recruit, you know, after following a redshirt. So if you just assume he had a redshirt at Georgia, then they technically didn't didn't land him out of high school. And I think he's a guy that can play all the defensive line positions for Georgia, which is exactly what they what they want they, they need out of the defensive line right now is the versatility and the ability to you know to rotate guys in and, at each position. And uh, given his size, you know, six four, three hundred and twenty five pounds. I think he brings that skill set exactly to the table where he could you know, fill in at nose. He can play defensive tackle. If you need him to fill in at some at defensive end as well. So I, I think the, these were huge needs for Georgia. They were needs for Georgia really during the season. And so now they've kind of addressed what they saw after self-scouting uh, over the course of you know the 2023 season, what they needed to add to the roster. And being able to add that those type of impact players in the transfer portal that was huge for the Bulldogs. Big to have defensive line versatility. And you mentioned Lawrence Cager, another former Kane that wound up being a Bulldog. So that seems like a good blueprint for Georgia to follow. Ben, uh, what did you take, uh, uh, you know, what do you make out of these guys that are joining Georgia? These three players in particular going in the portal and adding at some uh, pretty important positions. It, it all comes down to Georgia's transfer portal philosophy, I guess, and it alludes sort of to what, Kip just talked about there too, that Georgia is going to be a high school recruiting program. I mean, I think Kirby's thrown out numbers like 85%, 90%. I'm sure that has adjusted over time based on who's transferred out and where they've had hit or misses on the high school recruiting trail. But when Georgia goes to the transfer portal, it is to find guys that they feel are impact guys at positions that they probably felt they were a little bit thin at the year before. And so when you look at these three guys in particular, Kip mentioned it was Xavier McLeod. Georgia wants to beef up up front. If they can do it with a guy that can play a couple different positions along the defensive line and he has four years of eligibility remaining, you're really not going to find a transfer portal hit that Georgia likes more than that because they felt that they were thin up front this year. They felt like they weren't probably you know, winning their blocking assignments on the defensive line as much as they had in years past. And to what Kip pointed out, I think part of that is that they were playing guys more snaps than they should have been at certain positions. Xavier McLeod definitely alleviates some of that. Colby Young, you know, really you look at Georgia this year in the 50-50 ball passing game, big man, go up and get it. I mean, really, Ra-Ra Thomas is the one that you would look at as he has the ability to do that. But I mean, Colby Young is six foot five, 215 pounds. He's even a different body compared to Ra Ra Thomas. So I think that you're adding something in that receiver room. Georgia's gotten so fast. They've added guys like London Humphreys. They've added guys in high school recruiting that are just speed, speed, speed. Colby Young sort of adds that balance to that in the receiver room. And, and then Trevor Etienne, that's the one that is going to get the most buzz because of who he's coming from. It was a nice little Christmas Eve gift for Georgia fans to be able to poke some fun at any of their Florida family that they might have been spending time with over the holidays. You know, 
I didn't think coming into the transfer portal window that running back was going to be Georgia's focus. But I think that when you look at, they only took one running back last cycle. You look at this cycle, they took three, but one of those is Dwight Phillips, who I think they view more as an offensive weapon than just a running back that when you're really looking at those quota numbers at running back, it makes sense that Georgia would want to add a guy if they found the right guy. Trevor Etienne is a guy that can be effective in the passing game. Um, you know, I, I think that it makes sense why Georgia took all three of these players in the transfer portal. And I think that they all have a, a chance to be successful for Georgia next season. Yeah, looking at these guys, just some of my quick thoughts. Colby Young, Kip mentioned this, he's 6'5". And what was really impressive to me, just watching some of his highlights, um, he's will, you know he's very physical, which you'd expect of that size. I was kind of surprised how much uh, Miami used him on screens and let him try to to make some big plays. And uh, you know people were commenting when I wrote about you know what sort of stood out about him. Well, can he block? Because he's going to have to do that, and I'm sure that that's going to be part of the test. But uh, having that kind of size is going to help. And Trevor Etienne, you know, hopefully we will continue to say his name right. I'm basically just trying to you know like Ben tweeted look in the mirror and say it over and over. Cause I know for a fact uh, when I did the podcast with Andrew Ivins, I, I definitely called him Travis Etienne. Uh, but well, I thought yeah, right we, there, Kip started smiling when I started talking about him. I thought I might've accidentally dropped a Travis there. It's going to happen. And everyone's just going to have to forgive us. Uh, but, you know, watching some of his highlights from Florida this past year, uh, very good balance. There were a few plays, I'm thinking specifically the Tennessee game. He had some where he was just bouncing off of guys and, you know, getting 10, 15 more yards. And, Ben, you hit on what I think is a really good, you know, summary of getting him for Georgia. That was not a need. Running back, they had plenty of running backs. And, you know, you, you think about Branson Robinson coming back. But I think that shows you how much they valued Trevor Etienne and that they saw that he's a really good SEC back, and they've gone against him. They think really highly of him. I think the guy I'm most intrigued by with just seeing how he comes in and how he settles in is Xavier McLeod because, you know, at the very least, he's more depth at a position where they've lost guys like Jonathan Jefferson. You expect some of these senior guys to move on and go on to the NFL. So he's got an opportunity, but he's going to have to earn it, and he's going to have to come in and buy into what they want him to do because it's going to be – he's going to be asked a lot if he is going to play significant snaps. And uh, it's going to be something that he's got to take seriously once he gets to Georgia, if he's going to wind up playing any sort of a role on next year's defensive line. I want to make sure and say, too, let's not forget the long snappers, guys. Uh, UCLA long snapper Bo Gardner also coming to Georgia. So, you know, special teams is important. Got to make sure and throw that in there as well. Um, I'm not dismiss not being dismissive of your long snapper comment, but just that you, you triggered another thought that I had too. I find it interesting, and I tweeted about this too, but I find it really interesting. Georgia's taken five offensive transfers now over the last two cycles. And aside from Colby Young, they have faced all four of those guys in some capacity, and every single one of them put some level of good film out against Georgia. I don't think that's a coincidence. There's obviously crossover tape and things like that as well, that they see these guys on more regularly when you're playing against them. Uh, but I just find that interesting that if you're an offensive player that wants to play at the university of Georgia, that if you find success against Kirby smarts defense, you're probably a little bit more likely to get on the transfer board when, when the time comes. Yeah. You can't tell me that Kurt, Kirby is not looking at what those guys do and, uh, you know, making a little note for later. 
because I think he, he takes that into account. Kip, uh, were you about to say something? Yeah, if I remember correctly, also with Colby Young, I think his best game uh, came against Florida. So, uh, well, he had a get really good game against Georgia Tech as well. So I'm thinking that he probably had few games that he was showing up on crossover tape for Georgia. Yeah, I think he caught the eye of the coaching staff once they were going over film. And and that's that's a great way to eval. I mean, uh, you're having to not only evaluate all the high school guys, but, yeah, portal uh, evaluations. I mean, you see a lot of guys you know, going up from FCS or going up in competition who had double-digit sacks or all conference in their conference, but you, you don't know. You know, what are these guys going to be able to do if, you know, again, like if they're in the SEC? But, uh, yeah, when you, when you see a guy like Colby Young go for, uh, I think he, what, he had like four for 56 against Georgia Tech, um, you know, you still see the fact that he's put up, you know, really, really solid tape against teams that Georgia knows, and they know these players. So I, I just think that really overall uh, helped, um, you know, the Georgia coaching staff as far as, knowing these guys can come in and not just be on the too deep, um, you know, actually make, make an impact. And, and I think that's, that's a huge part. I think these guys are going to play huge roles. And, and I think you look back at Georgia and the transfer portal overall, anytime that, you know, they take some of these guys, we've seen them play, you know, major impact, if not starting positions for almost every single guy that, that Kirby Smart's added to the team especially the guys like Etienne and Colby Young that have less years of eligibility remaining. Like when you take with like McLeod, you can take him and you feel like he, if he needs development, you can still develop him because you're basically bringing him in as an incoming high schooler. You know, you, a guy like London Humphreys has three years of eligibility remaining. He, even if he's not able to get into the rotation immediately, you know, you've got developmental time. You know, if George has taken a guy that has one or two years of eligibility remaining left, there's a pretty good chance they feel that they're a day one contributor. Take a quick break and jump right into Orange Bowl discussion and what we're expecting to see from the dogs and the Seminoles. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement for his man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. So, guys, looking at this Orange Bowl matchup, I think we would be remiss not to talk about a big part of this discussion, and it's the opt-outs and the guys that are not going to play when Georgia and Florida State take the field on Saturday. Looking at it from Florida State, I want to give credit to Knowles 24-7's Brendan Simone, who had the list together, uh, looking at the guys that are not going to be playing. Uh, Brendan's got 19 guys that are not going to play, whether that is for opting out, uh, whether that is guys who have transferred and are looking to start elsewhere. A couple of quarterbacks, running back Trey Benson, wide receiver Keon Coleman. I can guarantee you Georgia's secondary is not very sad to see. He is not playing. Uh, tight end Jaheim Bell, defensive end Jared Burst. That's some of the notable guys uh, who will not be suiting up for the Knowles on Saturday. Looking at it from the Georgia perspective, at this point no one has opted out. As we reported on Tuesday, did not see tight end Brock Bowers or right tackle Marius Mims uh, coming off the plane when the team landed. 
Got to see some of practice on Wednesday. No sign of Brock Bowers or Marius Mims or Damon Wilson, uh, a guy that I believe it was Dog Central reported uh, was dealing with a knee injury. And uh, did not also see Ra-Ra Thomas at practice on Wednesday, though he did make the trip. Um, so a few of those guys, you know, it doesn't look like will suit up for Georgia. Todd Hartley talked about Brock uh, on Wednesday and basically left the door open that he could wind up coming by the end of the week. Uh, basically said he stayed back in Athens to allow him to continue rehabbing that ankle injury. Uh, Kirby talked about it a good bit uh, on Tuesday night, just uh, sort of discussing the fact that, you know, he came back so quickly and, you know, he was not 100%, and, you know, that has worn on him. So that will be something to watch when it comes to this matchup and if Brock Bowers is able to play. Some of those other guys, I'm not convinced, you know, like an Amiris Mims. I don't think we will see him uh, when it comes to that game. I'll start with you, Ben. Just what do you make of how this game has set up when it comes to a good bit of this, dis- uh, a good bit of this discussion? I mean, the fact that a whole lot of what we are talking about is the guys not playing for either team and uh, the guys that uh, will not be with these programs when it comes to a really marquee game? Well, you're not going to find me being like the self-righteous media talking head that's going to sit here and say like, how could these guys opt out or ruin the sanctity of bowl season or whatever. What I will say is it's from just like a, you know, I love football standpoint. It is disappointing because this had a chance to be a really cool matchup I feel like you don't get many and that's just part of it this is the reality of the world that we're in now you don't get many non-playoff games that have a chance to be really good games and I think both teams came into bowl season with that opportunity to sort of prove some people wrong so to speak I mean Florida State obviously being undefeated and excluded is probably part of the reason they're emotionally at the point that they are that we've seen as many opt-outs as there have been that said it would have been an awesome opportunity for them to sort of say screw you to the committee and go beat the two-time defending national champs Georgia likewise I think Georgia you know Kirby got asked about this with Mike when they did the Mike Norvell press conference when they were like oh what's it like playing a team that feels like they got sort of slighted out of the playoff and Kirby said well that's how Georgia feels right now Georgia's won 29 games in a row lost one by three to the only program in the world that seems like it can beat Georgia and all of a sudden they're out of the playoffs so I think that they feel like this is an opportunity to go in and make a statement I this is just my sense based on the opt-out discussion and where it feels like Georgia's at heading into this game compared to Florida State it feels like Georgia has sort of harnessed that negative energy to be able to go into bowl season with a purpose more so than Florida state has it's, you know, looking at the Florida state, I saw the two deep that Florida state had out and it was bloody. I mean, there was a red mark all, all over the board. And I mean, you're not getting the Florida state team that you've seen all year. And because of that, it sort of tarnishes, you know, either side, whatever happens in the game, there's going to be a level of, ah, oh, well, they didn't care. Or, oh, it wasn't the same team. And I think that sort of diminishes the outcome of the game, but it's still an intriguing matchup to me. I mean, this is a team, these are two of the higher performing recruiting programs in the country. So if you were to take some hits with opt-outs, you've got the young guys that you can filter in and make up some of the damage there. So It'll be fun to watch some of the young Georgia guys. I think that I all these players, I know that Todd Hartley alluded to the fact that Brock could get with the team. I don't really expect any of the injury-related players to play for Georgia because 
what's the sense in go and playing a 60 on 60 scholarship game if you've got a, a bum ankle and the other team doesn't seem to really be as invested into the game um so you know it's it's disappointing to me and i know it was a big spread at the beginning of bowl season i think it's like 19 20 points now depending on where you look at it it's just not the game that it could have been and from that standpoint it's disappointing but um I'm still, you know, I still love football all the same, like I said at the beginning. So I'm still intrigued in it nonetheless. Yeah, before we started recording, which we are recording this on Wednesday night, uh, 19 and a half was the number that I saw. So it's definitely creeped up. I think it might have opened around 14 and a half. uh, But definitely with all the opt outs, you see it continuing to go in Georgia's favor. Uh, Kip, sort of the same question I asked Ben, just, you know, what do you make of this game with the nature of what it is, you know, the roster of these two teams as we get ready for this? Yeah, it's a complete mess. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I looked at the percentages that Chris Nee put out and the fact that 94.4% of their total offense has opted out. And then it was basically 30% of all their defensive stats, Um, 83% of their total touchdowns scored you know, opted out. And I actually looked and up, looked at their uh, depth chart. It's updated 21 players of actually now not playing in this game for them. Um, I, I think if you, if you overall, you look at it, it's just, it's hard for us to know what to expect, but now imagine both coaching staffs because it's not, it's not just Florida state. We just talked about the transfer portal and the likelihood that, you know, Brock Bowers and Amarius Mims are not playing in this game. So, that, I mean, that basically puts Georgia, what, 20 players um, on their roster not playing in this game? Like Ben said, a 60-on-60 team. Well, well, how do you, you know, how do you prepare for that? It's one thing if you're going into the playoffs, uh, you've got game film, you know, of, of, of your opponent. What game film does Georgia have of, you know, a lot of this roster looking at the depth chart they're looking at garbage, a lot of garbage time film that they're breaking down. I mean, not so much for Florida State with Georgia, but, you know, at some positions. So, uh, you know, just for Vegas to try to put a number on it, probably very difficult. Um, trying to break down, you know, what's going to happen in this game, uh, very difficult. But for me, my interest is the last time, you know, Georgia was coming off of a loss was in this very same town, step you know, in Miami, except they're in the playoff. They had that built-in motivating factor, that chip on their shoulder to make sure everyone knew they belonged. Uh, this is a different situation. And when you talk about culture at Georgia, that's, you know, we're seeing that these two programs, that's kind of been the narrative. Like, uh, you know, Florida State got dealt an awful hand and, you know, their team is is dealing with the repercussions of that. And it's difficult for that coaching staff to deal with. Well, Kirby Smart is dealing with, you know, now you're not playing in a playoff game. And, you know, you just you, you just you have a lot. You're coming off a loss now, but you're you're not playing in that same level game. So if you really want to show what your culture is about at Georgia, then they have to make sure this team responds and doesn't come out deflated. And, you know, they have to stay motivated in a game that, you know, is not going to have playoff implications. So I want to see if that actually rings true. If Georgia comes out and plays inspired football, regardless of who's lining up uh, opposite of them and 
knowing that they're not playing another game this season. So uh, that that is still a huge storyline that'll go over into spring football. Uh, is is this culture in Athens still one that looks like can foster future championships with this roster? Kip mentioned something that uh, Kirby alluded to when it came to preparing. You know, the like Georgia trying to prepare for Florida State. And Kirby talked about, you know, they've done a lot more good on good getting ready for this bowl game and kind of focusing on themselves because they understand, you know, it's kind of a fool's errand trying to prepare for this Florida State team that nobody has any inkling of what they're going to look like just because of those opt-outs. And I want to go back to something Ben said, uh, you know, being someone who's a fan of football, which we all three are, you know, we wouldn't be doing this job. You know, I really hate it the way this game has come together because, you know, I think about Georgia and Florida State, and I'm like, man, that's a game I want to see. I think about, you know, when I was young, when they played in that Sugar Bowl in, in 2003 and, like, that being a big deal. And, you know, Georgia's going to play Florida State, I think it's 2027 and 2028. Like, these are the kind of games I want to see as a college football fan. Um, and as Ben alluded to, I totally understand why these guys are making the decisions they have. You know, they got to worry about themselves. they got to worry about their future. Uh, but that can be true, and I can also say it sucks because this could, had, the, had the potential to be a very entertaining game, uh, a game that uh, we would really enjoy and you know could be one of the more entertaining ones on the bowl slate. And it just uh, with the way things fell, it's just not probably not going to be that. Looking at this game, guys, I'm going to start with you, Ben. What do you want to see from the Georgia perspective that would make you say, okay, this was a success? And also give me a player on either side for Georgia that you want to see something from in this game that might kind of carry over to what they can do in 2024. So for me, the it'll it sounds so simple, but I think Georgia is in a position to dominate this football game. I think that they have a chance to make a statement to everyone. Like there's a world where however the playoff plays out and however this game goes for Georgia, that Georgia's viewed as the number two team in the country when this season's all said and done. And, you know, I think that that will, I think that's not the reason why Georgia's approaching it this way, but I think that inside those walls, they feel that there's only one program in the world that's better than them this season, or that was capable of beating them this season. And unfortunately for them, they ran into them in Atlanta. So I think that because of that, they've, like I said earlier, harness the energy in a way that Florida State has not been able to this bowl season. So I think it'll be successful for Georgia if they just do what I think they're supposed to do in this bowl game, which is be a team that's favored by 20, you know, 19 and a half points. Um, for me on either side of the ball, it's the offensive side of the ball is going to be the stupidest answer that you could give. Not the stupidest answer, but the, the most obvious answer. Carson Beck obviously had a decision that he had to make, and now he's coming back during bowl season. Todd Hartley mentioned it today, how impressed he was with Carson Beck's approach to this bowl prep. And I think for him, you know, we, I'm sure you all saw the NIL uh, marketing deal, whatever it was that he put out, and it had the comment about number one, you know, potential number one draft pick, Heisman front runner. There's going to be a push for him as a guy that's coming back that had the season that he just had to be that type of guy going into 2024. And even though nothing that he does in the Orange Bowl will determine that, it's a launching pad for him. And for him to go and have a game that I think that he can have against a depleted, defeated Florida State team, 
can sort of be that off season boost, you know, launching into the 2024 season. So I'm really interested to just see how he closes out this year on the defensive side of the ball. I could go a lot of different directions and I would probably would want to just say, generally, I want to see how the defensive front looks because Jamon Dumas Johnson's not going to be there. I don't think that Smile Munden's going to be playing. Damon Wilson's obviously dealing with his injury. Michael Williams, there's been a lot of talk about him playing on the edge. Is he an outside linebacker? Is he a defensive lineman? You're going to get a lot of three down front, four down front, you know, coach jargon from coaches when they talk about what position he really is. Jalen Walker, same thing. I know there was a lot of talk about him inside linebacker, outside linebacker. So I know I probably just blanketed the entire defensive front and stole a lot of players from you guys, but I'm excited to see a group that's going to maybe be utilized differently in this game than they have been used all year long. One, just because of the personnel that they have available to them. And two, I think they have the opportunity to experiment with some things with some of these guys and just feel out, all right, where can they fit into this defense going forward? Kip, what about you? What do you want to see as far as something Georgia accomplishes in this game and uh, the guys that you think could carry over uh, a big performance into 2024? 25 snaps for Jalen Walker. I will not be happy with anything less. Um, I, I want to see um, what he can do. I mean, not just on third down. I get it. We are going to see a lot of C.J. Allen and, um, you know, Raylan Wilson out there. And, again, when Smallman is healthy, him and C.J. Allen are going to be tough to get off the field. I understand. And I really feel for you guys, the coaching staff, on having to, to deal with this situation um, but whenever you have a sophomore who is not in the top 15 on snaps, but leads your team in pressures and sacks, um, there, you gotta, you, you have to figure out a way it's, it's your problem to solve and you have to solve it. And I mean, getting them on the field more is, is why you guys get paid the big bucks, you know, and I shouldn't be having to sit here and wonder, you know, gosh, why didn't he play more? Uh, he's built, you know, he's built like an inside linebacker, but you know, um, we're using him on third down at edge and gosh, we didn't get enough of, out of Michael Williams this year, what we thought. Now we're going to play him more at outside linebacker, which, you know, will take some more snaps from Jalen Walker. I get it. Uh, y- you know, you have this former five-star, you want to see him become a, you know, a Trayvon Walker or, you know, uh, the next great edge at Georgia, um, but you already have a guy who produced when he was on the field, get him on the field more and then figure out the rest later. So I would like to see that in this game, just to see if he has, if he's limited and he's only a, a pass rush specialist, then, I mean, you still have to figure out ways for him to affect quarterbacks more. And I, I think that's the key for, for me on defense on offense. What, assuming that, he doesn't play a huge role in this game. I want to know what does life after Brock Bowers look like? Um, I know that you have some freshmen coming in, Colton Heinrich, and I mean, Jaden Riddell, everyone's already, you know, just drooling over the photos of him, you know, coming off the plane and, and looking like, you know, he was a creative player in Madden. I understand it. Um, but there are still some other tight ends on this roster that, you know, I, I think have a lot of potential. You saw Oscar Delp at times. Sometimes he made, you know, some second-year uh, mistakes as well. And he'd be the first to tell you. 
but he's still extremely talented. And, you know, he kind of had a season stolen from us from Lost and Lucky. Uh, he's a guy that got talked about, uh, you know, during the offseason, just impressing the heck out of the coaching staff. They were really excited. He gets dinged up and just isn't able to have that kind of impact um, that we thought he would. Well, he's getting back to where he is now. That's what it sounded like from Todd Hartley. Uh, I want to see this guy unleashed. Um, you know, if he, if he's able to go out there and have a big game, this carries over into the spring. It's exactly what he needs. This is that launching pad for him to kind of step in, knowing that the shadow, I mean, no one is going to be able to, to step into the shadow that Bowers has created. Uh, but Georgia still needs somebody to fill that position and play a, a major role for this offense next year. So I'm not trying to make this game like it's a completely a spring game because I know that that takes a lot of interest out of a lot of fans. But I still have to look forward the, you know, to next year. And this is where you kind of get that first look at what some of these guys can do. And, you know, there should be no lack of motivation for the guys I named to go out there and show out, uh, knowing that this this film will be used a lot just to get those depth charts going for spring football. And I, I think that those guys are going to have a lot to say about how Georgia, you know, Georgia's 2024 season, their, their bounce back season uh, takes place. Looking at both sides of the ball for me, I'll start with offense, and it's really simple. Just I want to see how cleanly they operate. You know, it's been nearly a month since they played, and I think it was Kamari Laster was really talking highly of how Carson Beck's been preparing and how he's getting ready for this game. You know, I want to see it. I want to see that they uh, come out, don't come out flat. You know, it was an issue early in the season when it came to those slow starts. Get it rolling, and if you do that against a Florida State team that – it was missing a whole lot of guys they rely on. It should make for a fairly easy day. And I'll pretty much just piggyback on what Kip said, you know, just with the pass rush. I just want to see how they show up. Uh, I'll shout out to Dog Nation's Connor Riley. He and I on Wednesday felt like we were kind of talking each other off the ledge when it came to how they have used or maybe not used Jalen Walker this year and, you know, kind of missing out on what he's able to do. He's been very clearly their most consistent pass rusher. And, you know, waiting to see them unleash him. And whether they do that against Florida State or they find other ways to generate that pressure, I think that's going to go a long way, especially when you look at a guy who's going to be starting for Florida State and Brock Glenn that, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of game reps under his belt. And uh, he's going to be in uh, for quite a ride in that regard. Uh, as far as what I'll be watching or who I'll be watching, running back room. I mean, because, you know, essentially they were just put on notice by them adding Trevor Etienne. You know, they, there are a lot of options on this team, uh, especially when it comes to uh, the running back room. And, you know, they know that another guy with SEC experience is coming into the picture. You know, we expect Kendall Milton uh, and Dejon Edwards to probably move on after this season, but you got a lot of guys like Andrew Paul, Roderick Robinson, uh, and, you know, Cash Jones, some of those other guys. They're going to be fighting four reps going into 2024. You know, if you get any carries in this game, it would behoove you to play really well and show them, hey, I know we're adding this guy from Gainesville, but I can still play and I deserve uh, some playing time. Then on the other side of the ball, I would just say Raylan Wilson because we know what he's able to, uh, you know, he's capable of doing. But between those two freshman linebackers, I mean, I think C.J. Allen has performed more consistently and played better on the whole. 
Um, but we know Raylan is a freaky athlete, and he's got a lot of potential. I think this is an opportunity for him to play more, to show that he has improved his game over the course of his freshman season, and it set him up for what will be, uh, you know, in uh, you know, can set him up for what can be a very productive sophomore season. All right, before we get out of here, guys, score predictions. I'll go ahead and give you mine. I'm going to say Georgia wins this one 41 to 10. Do not expect this to be a close game. I think that Georgia clearly has the talent advantage, especially when you consider um, all the people who have opted out. And again, I think if this was everybody that, you know, would have played if this was a playoff game, I think this would have been a very competitive game. And, you know, you consider if Jordan Travis never got hurt, what it would have looked like then. But I think it's very clear that Georgia's got the advantage and they got the motivation. I don't think things have been trending in the right direction as far as that goes for the Seminoles. So I'm going to say Georgia wins this one by 31 points and goes into the offseason uh, with a nice win and an Orange Bowl trophy to go with it. Uh, Kip, what is your score prediction for this? Yeah, I got 45-10. I, I think that uh, this is a situation where Georgia is going to be able to name its score. Um, I don't think that Florida State's going to be able to have explosives against this defense. And I think, just going back to what we've been talking about, it's not just rushing the passer, but it's just like the defensive front hasn't been able to take on blocks to allow these linebackers to run free. And likewise, uh, this is an audition for C.J. Allen and Raylan Wilson, knowing that you know you do have a guy coming back in small London, so you're going to have to earn those snaps. And you got this room, the guys coming in, you know, guys like Justin Williams, this linebacker group coming in, um, nothing's going to be handed to these guys. And I think that probably two of the most motivated players in the team are going to be these guys because they took some lumps towards the end of the season, gave up some big plays. The eye discipline just wasn't there yet. Uh, these practices have probably given them a chance to just play quicker, play faster to the football. And I think they're going to do exactly that. Uh, you know, I think peak, Picking either one of those guys uh, for MVP would be a great pick because I, I think that this is going to be kind of that coming out party for them as the the next you know big time linebackers at what has arguably been LBU over the last decade. Uh, I think these guys are going to show that yeah we we did lose a very talented linebacker uh, to the portal, but we still have some talented linebackers on this roster and this defense is set up to. Those guys are supposed to succeed. Didn't succeed at the level they normally do this season. And I think that's this is kind of that bounce back game to kind of remind them, okay, uh, this is a big time position at Georgia, and these guys are set up for a lot of success next season. Ben, where are you going with this score prediction? I normally go with like a vanilla pick. I'll just do something that's close to the Vegas implied score, which I think is like 32, 12 or something like that. I'm not doing it for this one because I really think this is going to be a bloodbath. I think Georgia, I didn't know specifically the stat until Kip mentioned it earlier from Chris Nee about 94% of the offensive production. And I think that when I give my score prediction, I think that fits exactly how I feel about this game. Georgia has not shut a team out this year. I'm predicting them to shut a team out. I think that it's going to be 38 to zero to Kip's point. I think Georgia could probably name its number offensively. I don't think that Florida state's going to have much success moving the football. And I think when you reach a certain point in the game and you know that your opponent's not going to be able to move the football at all, do you really need to name a score above 40? So I'm going to say 38, zero. Um, 
Georgia finally gets it shut out this season. Georgia, you know, anyone with uh, Georgia football, anyone who does graphics, anything like that, if they pitch a shutout, please make the zero in orange. Please, please just lean into it. Make it the the mascot who was walking around when the teams landed. Because, guys, you don't know how how hard it was for me not to go up there and get a selfie with the orange. Because that that really it's really a missed opportunity on my part. And if you're a Florida State social media person reading this and you win the game, you need to do a fourteen in orange. But that's good. I don't know how many Florida State social media folks are going to be listening to minute forty of this podcast. And I don't know how many haven't opted out already. They're probably on their fourth string social media person at this point. So good luck, guys. We're going to wrap it up right there. I appreciate Kip and Ben for popping on. I appreciate everyone who watched this and who listened to this. Make sure, if you have not already, go to dogs247.com. We have a 60% off deal still going on. believe it goes on a little bit into the new year. Make sure you sign up there. Do also want to say, hey, well wishes to Georgia offensive line coach Stacy Searles. He's been battling pneumonia. Uh, he's been in the hospital in Athens, uh, but it sounds like he will make a full recovery. I just want to send our well wishes there. Uh, make sure also to go to Dogs 24-7 on YouTube. Subscribe. You get all the podcast episodes, all the Kirby Smart press conferences, all the player interviews, which there are a ton of them uh, that are coming in and being uploaded through Orange Bowl week. And then you'll also have Mike White press conferences and Georgia men's basketball interviews there as well. So for Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolk, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody.